Um, you know, when Fergus asked me to, Pastor Fergus asked me to preach from uh, my favorite portion of the Bible, it's really, really hard to choose what is your favorite portion of the Bible. It's kind of like, you know, if you have more than, um, if you have more than one kid or, you know, if you had like uh, more than, it's like asking them, you know, which is your favorite kid? If you were to go ask Pastor Fergus, Pastor Fergus, which is your favorite child? It's like, which one will he answer? Um, Isabel? I don't know, right? Which one will he answer, right? It's, go it's going to be a very tough question to answer. Um, but nonetheless, I've chosen Romans chapter 12 for a couple of reasons. One of them is that I actually feel that Romans chapter 12 encompasses all that the Christian life is about. It's kind of like a summary, if you like. Um, I don't know whether you have this habit, you know, after I watch a movie or after I watch a series, what I like to do is I like to jump on Wikipedia and read the summary. Y'all do that? Or before I actually uh, get into like a, a movie or anything like that, if I, if people tell me that this movie is good, but then I look at the online Rotten Tomatoes rating, it's not that great. What I like to do is I just kind of like look at a summary or a little bit of a plot first without too much spoiler, you know, so just so that I can kind of figure out whether this is really for me. And I feel like Romans chapter 12, um, you know, this is just my opinion. It's not a theological, uh, not, not a doctrinal truth for anybody. I just feel that Romans chapter 12 really, if we think about it, encompasses what the whole Christian life should be. So let's first read Romans chapter 12, shall we? Let's, let's do that. Uh, let's jump to Romans chapter 12 and I'll read it from the screen. So let's go Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we go to the next slide. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with God, with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We're almost there. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome uh, evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again. I pray that even as we go through the word this morning, let every word that come from my mouth be of you, God. Will you take what is of you and will you cause it to take root in the hearts of the people? And what is not of you, God, Lord, I pray that may you remove it as well. So we give you all the praise and all the glory. We surrender this time into your hands. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 12, I don't know whether you were paying attention, um, I hope you were, but otherwise it is a lot of scripture, um, but uh, if, you, if, you weren't, if you didn't manage to actually follow what Romans chapter 12 was saying, I encourage you to go and read it, but as you read the words, I'm sure something caught your attention, I'm sure something just went wow, in you just went wow, like this is something that I see there, this is something that I ought to be doing, and for me, even the first three verses, it is already like jammed, packed with, with material and content that we could just spend the whole morning or the whole day dissecting. But what I'm going to try and do is cover the whole of Romans chapter 12. Um, and I'm not going to be super exhaustive, but at least elaborate enough for you to catch something, for you to hear what God wants to say to us this morning. So I'm usually... Um, I'm typically the SIBKL style kind of guy, right? I would like to have, you know, three points, uh, maybe five sub points, you know, and uh, I would like all of them to start with the same letter, you know, the letter C, or, or maybe have them all rhyme in a certain way and all that. But this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the scripture direct us. I'm going to let Paul, um, Paul's writing, which was illuminated and inspired by the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth that he wants to hear us this morning. So I won't have any three-point or five-point sermon. How many points do I have? I am not sure myself. I'm just going to walk us through Romans chapter 12 and what it says. Now, you see, it starts with, Romans chapter 12 starts with this, my dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. You see, the foundation of Christianity is this, God's mercy. It's not his blessing. It's not even our faith, not our deeds. It is not even our sin, but it is his mercy. Now, his mercy is in response to our sin, but the foundation of the cross of Christianity, of Jesus' ministry, is God's great mercy on our lives. That is why 
the gospel is called good news. The gospel is called good news. The gospel isn't just a nice story, a good tale, something to uh, you know, something to tell little children. You see, this is the thing: a good story will make you feel nice, but a but good news can potentially change your life. What is good? A good story. A good story could be a series that you've been watching or that you watch. I don't know. Any of you watch Vincenzo? Um, apparently, it's popular now. K drama. Nobody. I don't have time for that. I'm praying and fasting the whole day. No, actually, not really. But uh, or, or maybe uh, you know, um, Game of Thrones or or series or whatever that you're into. A good story compels us. It draws us. But after we watch a good movie or a good series, we are left. We're left feeling, oh, that was very nice. But to be honest, it doesn't really change much in our lives. But good news is this. Good news is your scholarship just got approved. Good news is the cancer is gone in your life. Good news is you have won the lottery. That's good news. And when you receive good news, it can change your life. And the gospel, the life and the ministry and the saving work of Jesus Christ is good news. So that's why Paul starts off by saying, in view of God's mercy. But how do we respond to this good news? You see, the good news is not just news. It is also almost like an invitation. And the thing about invitations is, is we have three responses to it. We could either ignore it, kind of like, you know, if you're using social media, somebody you don't know or you don't really like sends you a friend request and you just go, nah, I'm just going to ignore it. Um, or if somebody slides into your DMs or anything, you look at that, you go, nah, looks like a creep, ain't going to, not going to reply, ignore it. Or if somebody sends you an email claiming to be a Nigerian prince who wants to give you 2 million US dollars, please ignore it, right? We, we, we have that. Or we, the second one we can do is we can outright reject it. We can go, no, right? We can go, no. Um, I get really tickled by people who actually take the time to mess with scammers. You know how those scammers, like uh, when they call you and they say, oh, you know, you got this fine in Penang and, uh, and then they take the time to, to mess him. So they not only ignore it, normally I'm very nice, I would just ignore them. But some people, they would like go, you know, do all kinds of funny stuff that mess with them. Uh, but we can also reject an invitation. Or thirdly, we could accept an invitation. And here's the thing. When you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will most automatically have to respond. Even when you don't respond, it is a response. Ignore it. Just go, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm not going to listen to it. But then how does Paul tell us how we should respond to it is this that in view of god's mercy i urge you to give yourself as a living sacrifice that is our proper response to god's mercy as a living sacrifice now i'm sure because all of you are disciples of pastor fergus you would be very well versed in your bible am i correct like if you were to go to a bible competition you'll be you you'll be like you'll just knock everybody out of the of the park right so we know this in the old testament when when the when the when when the people offered sacrifices onto god 
they would actually offer animals, right? Okay, so that's not that's that's not something that is uh, mind blowing or difficult to comprehend. They would provide an animal sacrifice. But you see, when an animal is sacrificed, what they do is they put the whole animal onto the altar. They don't decide that you know maybe I'm going to keep the the Thai part for me because I like lamb leg, yummy, right? Or you know, I'm feeling like chicken drumstick today to add with my village part, nasi lemak. So maybe for the chicken, we will take out the thigh and we will give the rest on the altar. No, what happens is the entire animal is placed on the altar and sacrificed onto God. And here's the thing as well for us, that when Paul tells us to be a living sacrifice, the people listening to this would immediately know that they have to offer all of themselves every area of their lives not just one part and that's the thing that we can be so good at at times that we we compartmentalize or we categorize what god can say um what god has to say in and what god has no say in so maybe when it comes to my weekends i'll give it to god but then when it comes to my work i you know god's leave god out of it or maybe when it comes to my 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 dating life my relationships okay you know this area is mine but everything else i'll give it to god no when paul says to be a living sacrifice he means to give our all that no area in my life do i hold back from you god as a response to your mercy my actions my thoughts even the way i conduct myself on social media the things i post the things i look up on the internet i give all of that onto you because here's a truth god is either lord of all or he is not lord at all and here's another thing the problem of a living sacrifice is his tendency to crawl off the altar and what do i mean by that you see when an animal was sacrificed in the Old Testament, the animal, poor animal, had no say because his owners would tie it up, drag it, bring it to the altar. But here, we have a choice to offer ourselves up. But we also have a choice to de-offer, that's a word, to step off the altar. And once we offer ourselves onto God, see, the act of surrendering onto God, the act of submission to Him, is not a once-off event. I wish it was. I wish... Christianity, I wish our faith journey was just like this. The moment I got, I, I understand a certain concept or certain truth, that's it. Like if I know lust is bad, got it, lust is bad, I will avoid it. But how many of you know that's not the way it works? We know lust is bad, but it keeps creeping up. We know certain things are not good, but it keeps creeping up. Up. We know we should not feel a certain way, think a certain way, talk a certain way, but it just keeps creeping up. That's our tendency of wanting to crawl off the altar. So as a living sacrifice, there has to be a choice to daily submit to him. As Jesus himself said in Luke 9.23, he says this, If any of you wants to be my disciple, you must deny themselves or you must deny yourselves and you must take up your cross what daily and follow me daily the act of surrendering the act of submission is a daily continuous thing it's not a it's a progressive thing 
And I thank God that His mercies are new every day. I thank God that He His grace shines upon us like the morning sun. That every day we can be renewed and recharged by God. But we must take that. We must be intentional. We must be willing to actually submit to God. And and Paul goes on to say, in view of God's mercy, offers a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Your true and proper worship. If you read the New Living Translation, it says this is the right way to worship Him. And you see, worship, can I tell you this, my friends? Worship is not just about lifting up our hands. It is about the laying down of our lives. I mean, I'm all about expressive worship. I'm all about being emotional during worship. Um, when I first got to Australia a couple of um, weeks ago, um, I, I actually attended a, uh, I was in, we came via Sydney. So after we finished quarantine, we went to stay with a couple of friends. And then, uh, and then that weekend happened to be a Sunday weekend, a church day. So we went with them to their church, an Anglican church. Uh, it was a modern Anglican church. You know, it wasn't all um, crosses and sta- steeples or stained glass or anything like that. But one, you know, you're doing, one thing that the, the service lacked, it was the emotion. And it, like worship was just very straightforward. And the, the preacher, he was just very like, this is what the word of God says. Does it, you know? Now, I love expressing. I love passion. I believe that, you know, passion is not a wrong thing. Um, but here's the key. Passion is not just passion in one area. Passion is that inner conviction. And that's what worship is. Worship is I'm so passionate about who God is. I'm so passionate about what God has done in my life. I'm so passionate about His Word that I will offer myself to be a vessel for Him. And that worship will not just be emotion, but it will actually be my faith in motion, in action. I will live out my faith. And it is an outward expression of an inner conviction. And worship, my friends, is not just with our lips, but is with our lives. It's not just singing the songs, it's living out the truth. Because if we're just singing songs, you know, then, then everything that we do on every time we come into worship, it will just be like karaoke. Right? I don't know whether any of you like karaoke. Um, you, you know, you go karaoke, sing all the boy bands, all the oldies, have a great time. But if we don't line up, so I'm not saying worship is not valuable. It is. It is valuable. It's like sweet incense onto God. But at the same time, it will be incomplete if, it does not, if our lives don't match up with what we sing and what we say that we believe in. And then Paul goes on to say this, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this word transform is the Greek word metaphaeo. And it brings the English word, which many of us will be familiar with, this word metamorphosis. What is metamorphosis? I'm going to just pop it in the chat a little bit. When you think of the word metamorphosis, what comes into mind? What comes into mind? Speak to me. Uh, is there a particular creature that comes into mind? Anybody? Uh, if you are like a science buff, look at that butterfly. You guys are so 
clever. I'm going to show you this picture. Um, this picture uh, that is it's not sorry, it's not super high res. It probably violates some of Pastor Fergus's artistic standards, but um, I saw this picture, and it really got me thinking. And if we were to go back to the concept of metamorphosis, what metamorphosis means is it means literally, and I'm using the word proper here, literally. One of my pet peeves, uh, we're family here, right? So I can be a bit relaxed. I can talk to you. One of my pet peeves is when people use the word literally wrong. It's like some people will be like, oh my God, I went to this cafe that day and I had this coffee and it literally blew my mind. I'm like, no, it didn't. Because if it did, we wouldn't be able to speak, right? Um, another one, when people say revert, oh my gosh, God help me. Let me revert to you um what do you mean revert to your original state no the word is reply okay sorry i don't know what came over me i think the i think it was that reading the pigeon hawaiian bible game that uh fergus made me play so sorry i, I must be i must be messy but anyway metamorphosis actually means to literally be transformed you know when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly and i researched this right it literally goes through a process where it becomes a completely new and different being the caterpillar doesn't just get slapped on some wings like an upgrade and then now boom i'm a caterpillar i'm a worm with wings no when a caterpillar goes through the process of metamorphosis to become a butterfly he goes into um, his cocoon or his popa and what happens in the cocoon in the chrysalis is the caterpillar's body literally gets destroyed by digestive juices it gets broken down and then it gets reformed and it comes out reborn as a butterfly in fact the dna sequencing of a caterpillar is completely different than that of the DNA sequencing of a butterfly. That's why there is a metamorphosis. There is a transformation that happens. Wow, when I read that, and it's like, I didn't even know, it's like I knew this. I, I knew this, I know this, right? This is like kindergarten science. But when I looked through it again, that just really blew not literally, figuratively, blew my mind because I'm like, whoa, that's the kind of, of process that salvation that Jesus is meant and can bring into our lives. That when we say yes to Jesus, that when we allow him to transform our lives, we, are, we become a new creation. We are no longer the same. The old me no longer exists. What I used to like, how I used to talk, what used to bother me, what I used to value, it can no longer be the same because now I am a new creation. As the scripture here tells us that if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Do not be conformed, but be what? Transformed in the renewing of your mind. 
And I, I'm even reminded of John chapter 3, where Jesus was having this discourse with Nicodemus, a, a, a renowned teacher of the Jewish law. And he told Nicodemus this, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you know, he's a smart man, but he was a little bit thick. He was thinking, but God, how can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb and be rebirthed? And Jesus corrects him by saying, it is not a physical rebirth because I don't know about you. When I became a Christian, um, everything about me pretty much stayed the same. Although I wish I became maybe 10 cm taller. No, wait. No, sorry, that'd be freaky. Maybe like 5 cm or 6 cm taller. Or I wish like, you know, I, you know, I, I, I grew like abs or something. I wish like my body changed. Again, I got an upgrade. But no, Jesus is not talking about a physical rebirth or to be physically born again. He's talking about spiritually and he's talking about our hearts to be born again and to be aligned and to be transformed to be the kind of people that god wants us to be not what the world says that we are meant to be do not conform to the pattern of this world the world has a certain definition of success the world has a certain standard for what relationships should be the world has certain opinions or what right and wrong is but we are not conformed to any of that because we are transformed by what god's mercy and god's grace i'm preaching to myself i'm like i'm pretty excited just looking at my scripture again and this is what salvation is about that you don't have to be the way you are you and it's not even about behavior modification it is about life transformation and that's what happens when you embrace the full saving grace of our lord jesus and and i'm thankful for that i'm thankful for that i feel like we should give god a little bit of praise right now you know you can do a little bit of reactions in in um, your in, in in on zoom right there's, there's a little happy clappy i'm just going to do that right? we should give him some praise that's what god is that's who that's what the gospel is about and listen to this you see when we come to god we do a u-turn right um you all are great bible scholars as well you all know that it's about repentance we all know it's about this greek word called metanoia changing direction and get this repentance happens not when you cry it happens when you change it's not you know we i've been in ministry for a while um, there are people who what I call are altar call junkies. Um, what do I mean by that? Is that, you know, they'll come to the altar call and then they'll cry, oh, hoo, 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 you know, this, that. And they will, you know, oh, hoo, hoo, so sad, so sad. And like, oh yeah, you know, you pray for them and all that. But it's one thing to cry and feel sorry, but it's another thing to actually be convicted and change. And we can only do that not by our own strength, but by his saving power and by his grace that we embrace in our hearts. That's when repentance happens. And then how does Paul progress to say, you know, do not be conformed to the patterns, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and know what God's perfect will is 
for you. You see, the level of your discernment is directly proportional to the level of your obedience. If you walk with God every step of the day, if you keep moving forward, if you keep doing things God's way every day, eventually you will reach your one day. All of us have this longing. We want to know what the will of God is. We want to know what his, his purpose of our for our lives. We want to know where is he leading us, what is he doing. We are all waiting for that one day. But let me tell you that every day leads to that one day because when you follow the ways of God, you will flow into the will of God. Just keep going with what you know. Don't obsess with what you don't know. Trust in what you do know. Trust in the one. Follow God. Do your best. Give Him your all every step of the way, every day, and your one day will come to pass. That is the promise and that is the principle of the Word of God. It is something that I hold to. It is something that even has impacted me. And now I'm going to quickly just breeze through. That was the first, that was just the first three verses. And now I'm just going to quickly breeze through um, the rest of the scripture. As Paul writes that, the first two verses, um, you know, he goes on to say, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith that God has given to you. You see, that is one of the hallmarks of a transformed person. Humility. Humility. What is humility? Humility is strength under control. And humility is something that, can I even admit to you, that something that I myself don't really fully comprehend at times. I am asking God, God, teach me what does it mean to walk humbly with you? Because if we are honest, Humility doesn't come naturally to the most of us. All of us, men and women alike, to a certain extent, have a certain level of ego in us. We have a certain level of pride in us. But when we are so secure in Christ, when we know who we are in God, we our identity is firmed up in Him, and we don't need to feel the need to now prove ourselves or show what we have and all that and this is what really the world is like the patterns of the world the patterns of the world wants us to talk up what we have you know it's about marketing right marketing you basically like one of the 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 components of marketing is exaggeration you got to exaggerate how good this product is and that's what we like to do we like to exaggerate our lives our achievements and all that but what did god tell us to do to be humble and that is part of the transformed life. Even this word humble is affecting the way I perceive ministry to be and all that. Like, you know, I'll, I'll share a small example. I used to think that, I used to think that um, as the leader, you have to be the best. You know, you have to be the best. You have to be the best at everything. That's why people will follow you. But I'm slowly beginning to realize and internalize more that being the leader is not about being the best. It is about bringing out the best in everyone around me. It is not about position. It is not about titles. It is about the roles that each and every one of us hold. And we all come together as a body 
of Christ. Philippians 2 says this, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value your others above yourselves, not seeking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It is about the body. Because if you read this portion of Romans 12, he talks about if your gift is to serve, then serve. It's to teach, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage. It's about all of us coming together, serving each other so that we can experience Him. It's not about one man getting glorified. It's not about one person having the spotlight. No, it's about all of us lifting up the person and the message of Jesus is all of us forming a community. What's a community? A common unity. That what we have in common is that we are all here to serve. We're all sinners saved by grace. And then we have the unity to come together. Because the moment we lose sight of Jesus and we start looking to ourselves, that's when disunity will happen. When we want to go, we want to do things my way. When we want to hold on to my grudge, we want to do it that way. No, no, it's it's about all of us. And the thing about what you know, the thing about biblical pattern of how a community or leadership should be like, it's not even about who has more titles or more influence. No, it's about all of us having different roles. Because get this, not all of us are prominent, but all of us are significant. In a church, you know, it's very. Uh, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to comment on how organizations run, and I'm not going to comment on how other places run. You know, I'm going to talk about the church, the body of Christ. In the body, every part of your body is significant. It may not be prominent, but it is significant. I mean, get this right. If I were to ask you right now, any of you don't want your middle toe do you think about your middle toe often probably not right okay so now i want you to cut off your middle toe and sacrifice it at the altar you'll be like no 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 right i want to keep my middle toe and it's the same for us as a community not all of us are going to be on stage not all of us are going to be able to preach not all of us may have the opportunity to do the ministry or to be on the platform but yet all of us are part of this body this precious body called the church and all of you are part of this precious body called sungai bolo s-i-b-k-l that's what you are you are you are a faith family and all of you have a part to play all of you have something to contribute that's why I love Romans chapter 12. You see, it's not only just talking about individual. Now it's talking about how we should be like in the community. You see, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have to receive, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Your gift that God has given to you is to be given away. There's this saying, your life is God's gift to you, but how you live it will be a gift back onto God. How would you use whatever gifts, whatever talents, whatever inklings that you have? Because that is what being in a community is, is about. It is about serving one another, not jostling for position or influence, but serving each other so that 
Christ can be glorified. You know, there's this scripture in John 13, 35. Jesus says this, that it is by this that the world will know you are my disciples. And you know what that phrase is? That you love one another. He didn't say that it is by your great deeds that the world will know you are my disciples. He didn't say that it is by the great miracles that you perform that they will know you are my disciples. He didn't say it is by your great buildings, your great programs, blah, 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 blah. He said this, it is by what your love for one another that the world will know that you are my disciples. When you think about it, when you look at scripture, actually, this Christian life doesn't need to be that complicated. Love God, love one another. Everything else will take care of itself. God will provide. If only we would come back to that. If only we would look to that. And, you know, as we go through the scripture, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read the whole, I'm not going to go through verse by verse for the rest of it. But, you know, from verse 9 onwards, it talks about, it talks about um, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking zeal, keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, all these are hallmarks of a transformed life. That something within us now must change, and that change must be reflected in the way we conduct ourselves. People who say that, oh, you know, um, it doesn't matter how I live, um, you know, God's grace is all that matters, uh, have a very limited, I, I wouldn't say they are wrong, I would say they have a very limited understanding of who God is, you know, or, or what salvation is. Because when you have, when you are saved and when you fully understand God's mercy on your life, something in you has to change. Something in you must be different. The way you handle conflict has to be different. The way you treat people has to be different. The way you see even those who hate you, even those who misunderstand you, even those who actually betray or do you an injustice has to be different because forgiven people will forgive. Loved people would love. And I can think about it this way. Can you imagine that if you were driving along a highway, you were driving along the highway and you run over somebody's child. That's a very big thing, isn't it? You run over somebody's child. You're in trouble. The, the police are going to come after you. Um, in, I don't, the family is going to come after you. Your reputation's ruined. You're in trouble. But in that moment, somebody steps in and tells you, don't worry about it. I will take responsibility. I would say, I drove the car. You go on and you'll be free. Now, if you were afforded that kind of opportunity, something in you must change. And it's not even the guy telling you, hey, you better do this now. You better, you know, you better like stop being materialistic. You better stop being judgmental. You better, you better stop, you know. No, it's that very act of mercy upon your life that you will go, goodness gracious, there is something about me now 
that I must change. And that is God's mercy and love on us. We have to change. And how do we change? Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with with those with more live in harmony with one another do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone and this is verse 18 it is a verse that i really really do not like it says if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone you know when when i'm counseling people and people want closure they will always say i will only forgive if that person says sorry or i will only you know have closure on this situation if i get if i if i get some kind of um um, retribution or if I get some kind of compensation for the wrong done to me I would do even you know or or like you know when I don't know whether you've been in situations where the Holy Spirit this is a, actually a litmus test of whether you hear the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit makes you or tells you to apologize even when you're not the one in the wrong I don't know whether you've been in that kind of situation if you have not been in that kind of situation, you either have not really heard the Holy Spirit before and you're just so caught up with your own carnality or you're an angel. Praise God. You're just like the one who walks on clouds, does nobody anything wrong or that because I don't know whether you realize this, but doing the right thing can actually make, you know, being the bigger person can actually leave you feeling so small sometimes. I don't know whether you've been there. But it's that dying to self, it is that, that denying yourself, is that when things die in us, and that's when God can start to grow His things within us. Some things just has to die in us so that God can do a new thing in us. It's like the butterfly. The butterfly has to die before it can, the caterpillar, sorry, has to die before it becomes the butterfly. The seed has to die when it gets planted in the ground before it can actually bear fruit. So if you're going through many kinds of, of refining situations, God's hand has not left you. In fact, actually God's hand is upon you. Upon you. He's molding you, shaping you, and pushing you to be the man or woman that He wants you to be. And it's all here. And I'll leave you with this one thought. Do you want to be right or do you want to be righteous in God's eyes? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be righteous in God's eyes? And how do we, how does righteousness come? Through faith in Jesus Christ, but also through a submitted and surrendered life onto Him. There are many times in life you, you can and you probably should exercise your rights. But many other times it's better to display grace. Because that's what God did. God did not exercise his right to judge the world. God chose to display grace. And would, be, would we be that kind of person? Will we be that kind of people who would do that as well? And, you know, the scripture ends this way. It says, um, 
do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to revenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And Paul ends Romans 12 by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is, or these are, the attributes of a transformed life. And it reminds me of this saying that, you know, first heard Pastor Chu say it. He says this, do not curse the darkness, just introduce the light. If you and I, you know what's my dream? My dream is not that we will have bigger buildings or bigger conferences even though i see value in that my dream is that every person who professes to be a believer in our lord jesus christ will live this romans 12 kind of life will live out this way because when we do this we are really then being the salt and the light because often, you know, we ask what is wrong with the world when really we should ask what has happened to the salt and light. Instead of praying for a move of God, maybe we need to wake up and realize we are the move of God. We are the people of God that he has sent us out. And I am thankful that Pastor Fergus and his family, as well as some of the leaders here, has chosen to answer the call to be the salt and light in Sungai Bulo. And I pray that that, will, that you guys will walk with so much conviction and perseverance and fervor that you will see Sungai Bulo transform, not by your great works, but by your great revelation of who Jesus is in your lives and you will then walk that out. Praise God.